Welcome to Cougar Insiders. I'm Dick Harmon, and each week, BYU beat writers Jeff Call and Brandon Gurney will be joining me to discuss all things Cougar sports. Together, we bring six decades of perspective on BYU athletics. We'll tackle the news, issues, and opinions foremost in the minds of fans across Cougar Nation. It's going to be a lot of fun. I'm Dick Harmon. I'm the dinosaur in this group. I I started in this business in the mid-70s, back when Gifford Nielsen uh, was playing at Provo High School and came to BYU. I really wanted to get in this business because um, I was working at the Daily Universe as a sports editor one time. I did a story for Monday Magazine on Keith Rice, a basketball player that was playing for Frank Arnold. And uh, I I walked through the, uh, the student union, the Wilkinson Center there, and I saw people reading it all over the place. Something clicked in me. I wanted to do that the rest of my life. So plans to go to law school and other things thrown out the window, and I got into this business. I've been uh, the sports editor at the Daily Herald, and I'm a columnist for the Deseret News now. I'm probably going on about 43 years. Once I tried to hire Jeff Call right here. Is that true? I didn't know that. I didn't remember. Um, I've been with uh, covering BYU since 1993. I'm kind of the third wheel of this group. Um, I do love covering BYU sports. I've written books about uh, BYU sports. It's been uh, kind of a passion for me. I, I love telling stories. I love look, digging into the history of the program, uh, the current events of the program. It's uh, it's a lot of fun, and I really enjoy covering it with uh, Brandon Gurney. Yeah, I come from a different background than you guys. I kind of started out as a regular message board lackey until Dick Harmon called, <laughs> texted me and said, Hey, you want to go out to lunch? Want to start doing this? Yeah, yeah, I want to start doing this. So it's his fault that I'm in, in this business, and I'm usually grateful, sometimes not so much, but it's great fun, and it gives me a different perspective uh, coming from that background. You know, football camp started. Uh, there's been a lot of interesting things happen. Uh, whole new faces on the coaching staff, the offensive staff, except for Steve Clark, uh, completely different. One thing I noticed in practice on Monday is uh, just the, the small segment that we were given access to is that uh, Joe Critchlow uh, didn't get a lot of work during the media time that we walked. Uh, we, were, we were watching out there. And uh, at the end of the practice, uh, everybody got together. And then Joe walked off the field. He gave Kalani Sataki a great big, huge bear hug, and he went into the locker room. Maybe he had a class or an appointment. Probably not a class, but maybe somewhere to get to. But the other quarterbacks, uh, Jaron Hall, another freshman, uh, Tanner Magnum, the oldest guy, um, and, and freshman Zach uh, Wilson. They were all out there uh, going over things with Aaron Roderick. Uh, they, were th- they were going over some plays. They were going over other aspects of what they were doing for at least 20 or 30 minutes. And I thought that a little bit strange, but couldn't we read anything into that, Jeff? The coaches says, do not read anything into that. Yeah, I think if you were at practice yesterday, and based on the segment that we watched, you have to read something into that. Um, Joe Critchlow didn't get any... 11 on 11 reps at all. Someone told me that was the solo practice said that he didn't, you know, it was kind of how the whole practice went. So from that, you can kind of, I guess, look at the situation and say, we're down to pretty much two quarterbacks, senior Tanner Mangum and freshman Zach Wilson. And I would say that all three quarterbacks have looked really impressive so far. You can really tell they put in a lot of work in the offseason. And I think that's something that's said every year, but I think they really did put in the work during the offseason. They kind of hit the ground running when they started camp. But I do think that uh, it's kind of been narrowed down to two guys, uh, Tanner and and Zach, and it's going to be interesting to see how the coaches uh, handle this. I mean, I don't know that the coaches ideally want to put a true freshman, an 18-year-old kid just out of high school, 
down there in Arizona to start the season. Um, with Tanner, you know who you you know you know who he is. Uh, he's got a track record. He's got he's done really good things. He's done some things where he struggled last year. So it's going to be interesting now as we kind of move into the second week of camp, how the how the coaches handle these quarterbacks and what they're going to do. We already know that Bo Hodge has been trans, transitioned to to running back and he looks really good there. But now I think the the focus is narrowed. We've got kind of a two man race right now. One thing we will find out real quick: uh, we may not be able to witness that, but they're going to have a scrimmage on uh, Friday, and I think there's going to be some heads banging around, and that will tell the coaches a little bit of Tanner has made progress in the pocket and uh, can lead a, a huddle and, and lead the offense in a way that he needs to as a senior. It'll also be a great opportunity for, for Wilson to step forward. The kid's got great mechanics. He's got great footwork. Um, I think he's further ahead than all of them as far as just technique and some of those things that quarterbacks need. Uh, but he, he, this, is a, this will be an opportunity to say, yeah, you put the pressure on me. I'm going to deliver the ball. We're going to go down the field. But it's a great opportunity for Tanner Magnus to say, no, this is my team. These are my guys. This is my huddle, and I belong out there because I've had the experience and I've had game-winning plays, and I've got the resume to do it as a 16-game starter. Yeah, I think Tanner, you know, he's always looked pretty good in practice, and he did last in the fall. He looked pretty good, and I think people were uh, surprised that he didn't it didn't translate on the field in the games. And so he's got a sense of urgency. He's lost a lot of weight. He looks more confident than he did last year. And it'll be interesting to see how that uh, how that translates again in that scrimmage and, and what he can do from here. Brandon, the defensive line has lost a couple of key players, uh, but yet they have more depth than they probably have had, and they're healthy as they can be, uh, I believe, in some time. That that could make a difference. What's your take on the defense? There's a lot of bodies on that defensive line, and there needs to be because that's kind of the, the whole point of a 4-3 pressure defense. You look at Utah's defense in past years, it was predicated on dominant defensive line plays where they were just shoveling guys in and out. You got one dominant guy you can you can you can put uh, right there. It's Kyrus Tongan. He's an absolute game changer. But the guy that's going to start opposite him, or you see most of the reps at least, that's a big question mark. I, they, Tavita Moanga not on the roster. I, I don't feel like he's in, in the plans this year. I mean, if he's not on the fall roster, how can you bank on anything? But there's some guys standing out. Lorenzo Fate is a guy that's gotten a lot of pub and all that. And I just think it's really critical to have those two solid defensive tackles that you really have to account for, that you can't single block. That's going to free up the whole defensive system. So I think that's that's probably the emphasis of what you want to see solidified most uh, throughout fall practices. And I also have a lot of questions on the cornerbacks. I mean, can you guys tell me who your two starting cornerbacks are, that these are the guys? Not Troy Warner or Diane Gonwaluku. Those guys are safeties now. So this whole thing where you can afford to move your two starting cornerbacks to safety and just go with the guys that are largely inexperienced, uh, say Chris Wilcox, who hasn't been fantastic but has shown signs, I think that's kind of a big risk. And, and I think it's going to be very notable throughout fall practices if they're able to sink or swim with Diane Gonwaluku and Troy Warner staying at safety. I think that's going to be a good sign for the defense. If they, they say, no, we're moving back to corner, uh, maybe some red flags here and there. But I think that's really interesting. And it's something I'm going to note is just to see which – cornerbacks step up because I don't think anyone can say who the front runners at cornerback are right now. I think that's a big question mark. Well, is this true or false? Pass defense starts up front. You get a rush on people, oh, things yeah. change, and I don't think it's as critical in the back end if you've got a pass rush. Still critical. Corners have to be good. They want to do a little bit of press man corner, but uh, this grand experiment of switching around the safeties could, could turn out a lot better if they got really a lot of help oh, and yeah. push up front. Oh, there's no question about that. And, and, and pass rush was a 
sorely lacking last year. Jeff just did an article uh, illustrating just how porous that pass rush was. It wasn't there. You got Corbin Kafusi, who who seems to be emerging, having a big year, but they were suffering another big blow with Longy Tuafua. As, as far as the defensive lineman brought in, he was the he was the most notable recruit. He was a guy committed to Oregon, a four star athlete. Who it was a real recruiting battle with the University of Utah. And they got this guy, and he played last year as a true freshman. He's out, uh, so so they have to replace this guy now as well. And and so a pass rush is going to be a big thing. But I think with those interior linemen, if Kyrus Tonga can show strides. And demand that d- double team where, where these guys can just go in s- single block. I, I, that's going to be a big thing for this defense. You know, it's been about a half a year since this team got on a plane and came back from Hawaii. Kalani Sataki was steaming mad over some things that happened on that road trip and the way some athletes were handling their assignments, the way the coaching staff was handling some things. He made drastic changes. He, uh, he asked the, uh, the legendary Ty Detmer, a guy on the Mount Rushmore of BYU Athletics, to step down and step aside as the uh, offensive coordinator. Um, he's dismissed in the, in the last probably year and a half, probably 25 or 30 players, maybe not dismissed permanently, but he's let them go and given them a chance to maybe improve grades or other things like that. This fan base is scarred. <laughs> they are upset. They're frustrated. They're mad. They uh, and if you scour the message boards and some of the radio talk shows and that and fans just talking to them generally, they they believe the sky is falling and it has not hit the ground yet. And you, you you're in the shadows of those message boards. Um, as you look at them, a lot of people are just parsing everything that Kalani Sataki does, the style in which he does it, the way he says things, the moves that he makes. Everything is under scrutiny. Is the sky falling, Brandon? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> uh, t- talk to me in two months, maybe after the Cal game. That's um, cheating. That's cheating. But have I, have I gauged this right? Have I gauged this right? Kalani has made good moves in the offseason. I don't think anyone can argue that the moves he made were, were pretty much ideal as far as just an offensive staff. I don't think you could put together a, a realistic offensive staff better than the one that, that he did. And you look at all the moves he's been making, stuff he's been doing, I think he's made the right moves. I think the scary thing from fans is apathy. Um, you'd rather see frustration than apathy. And if BYU tanks it again, you're going to start to see some apathetic fans. And that's where you really don't want to be, where fans just don't care. It's just uh, whatever. Jeff, we've been on the road. We've seen BYU fans up close. We've seen them from Washington, D.C. to California. We've seen them from Hawaii to Texas. We've seen them all over this country. They come out in droves. They support their team. They spend money to be there. There are thousands of people that will be in the stands that are BYU fans when the Washington Huskies or at, at Wisconsin. Um, a, a new offensive staff with about 85 to 90 years experience coaching on it, replacing the old offensive staff. Can you give these fans any reason to have optimism? Well, I think that uh, in the wake of what you said of Kalani getting rid of Ty Detmer, who's a legend, everyone knows that, for him to go out, I don't think anyone could have predicted that he would be able to get somebody like Jeff Grimes. I think his name surfaced um, early on as a potential candidate, but that kind of seemed, you know, maybe out of touch, out of reach. But now he's here, and I think uh, you know he's brought a lot of – he commands respect, he brings discipline, and like you said, a lot of experience. He's faced for many years a lot of great SEC teams and defenses. And even though he's in his first year as offensive coordinator, I mean, he has a ton of experience, and he's surrounded himself with guys with a lot of experience, like you said. 
So I think, number one, I think uh, the optimism comes from that Kalani has, you know, again, he put himself in a position by getting rid of Ty Detmer where, you know, he better have made the right decision. And so Jeff Grimes and the other guys that are on the staff have the experience. They've been through a lot of situations before that the old staff did not. And he's put a lot of his, uh, you know, kind of his career on the line there in the hands of those guys. I think, I think he's got the right guys. And we all know that, uh, I mean, for fans, it kind of, it's a game-to-game thing, a week-to-week thing. We've had a long off-season, a lot of time to digest what went wrong. Uh, I've actually noticed quite a bit of uh, optimism. There's, there's the negative crowd, but I've noticed also a lot of optimism about the start of a new season, kind of a new, a fresh start. And uh, I think there are those fans that will, you know, they'll, they'll come, they'll show up at Arizona, they'll show up at Wisconsin in Washington and in Hope Springs Eternal, and we'll see how that goes. One thing that happened last year, and all of us have talked to people that have been around practices that we were not uh, privy to, and they said as that seven-game losing streak went on, there was an energy level that was you, – you could really see it go down on that team, on the sidelines, the way the players were interacting, even the coaches, and, and there wasn't a lot of passion out there. I think one thing that Jeff Grimes has done and been demanded by Kalani is that the energy level go up that they get excited for every practice and every play that they do, and also discipline. They're not going to stand for mistakes. If you make mistakes, you won't be playing for Jeff Crimes on offense. Just last Saturday, they had seven mistakes that were, I would consider, pre-snap mistakes or penalties and other things, maybe a drop pass or a fumble. They had seven of those. The entire team, the entire offense, had to do up and downs and had to run on Monday before they even got to practice to pay for that. Accountability, discipline, those are some things I think fans could look to um, and this staff holding the players accountable and getting more after them, mistakes just s- t- simply won't be tolerated. I remember a game last year when an offensive line uh, had about three or four false starts in one drive. Uh, you know, you're what the heck's going on here? Now there's been some basketball news too. The University of Utah got three in-state recruits. BYU generally has had their pick of in-state recruits. Mm-hmm. From you go all the way from the top of the state to the bottom, they generally are getting them. Could you tell us a little bit about that move by the University of Utah? Is it a big loss by BYU, or did BYU simply not have room? Well, Van Komen is the most notable one. You have a seven-three guy who moves extremely well for a guy his size. BYU was never in the picture. He never had any interest, from what I understand. So you just kind of write that off as just one of those things. That's Utah family. It's kind of just what he's won. The guy that's notable is Mason Falslev, uh, J.D. Falslev's brother. Um, a fantastic athlete, and and you have natural BYU ties with his brother and, and family already. His brother. Uh, already gone to BYU. And, and when I saw that, I'm like, oh, yeah, that kid's really good. And it's, man, maybe they missed out on that guy. So uh, Van Komen, no, n- not a loss. Um, so, ball slip, yeah. Okay, very good. You know, from time to time, we get the opportunity to run into things that don't make it into the newspaper or on our website, stories, columns, features, things like that. They're kind of left out, but yet they're important. We call it kind of the rest of the story. And, Jeff, could you give us some stuff that you've left on the uh, the scrap table and you didn't get in? Well, I did a story over the weekend on Dylan Colley, who's been uh, he's been very impressive so far in fall camp. He's been making plays. I think we expected that, and he's bringing a lot of uh, leadership and experience. But one of the things during my conversation with Fessy Sataki, who's the wide receivers coach, first year wide receivers coach, uh, got talking a little bit about the some of the freshman receivers. There's three that, uh, as we all know, there's opportunities to play. I mean, based on the guys that coming back and what they produced. 
there's there's a void there that needs to be filled. And we have Gunnar Romney, uh, who's an amazing athlete. Uh, I know Austin Colley has talked about him, about, uh, you know, he, there's a lot of com- comparisons there, and, and rightfully so as far as their body type and what they can do. And um, his uh, another guy, two Bingham guys, actually, that uh, one's a walk-on, uh, Dax Milne, and uh, the other guy's Braden Cosper. And all three of those guys have been, you know, they're very impressive. Gunnar Romney has been out or limited in practice due to injuries. I'm not sure what those injuries are, but he's been uh, held out quite a bit. But I think the important thing to know is that once he's healthy, he's got a big upside. I think they're going to kind of ease him into the rotation, get him some more reps. But I think eventually we're going to see this kid, and I think he's going to make an immediate impact. Jeff, your assignment is to find out what injury Gunnar Romney has. Is it a pimple? Is it a warp? Is it a soft tissue issue? Is it a sprained ankle? Is it a hip or stinger or whatever? Can you do that? Okay, I'm on it. Okay, stiff it I'm out. on it, yeah. Well, our final observations, uh, let, let's get to that. Let's, let's wrap it up a little bit. I I have two of them, and I'll go real quickly, but uh, they did move Bo Hodge over to running back. They have talked about him playing other positions, but I was surprised in the practices that I've seen that Bo Hodge, a quarterback that was held out because of a concussion last year, got banged up at Utah State. He's out there. He's looking big. He's looking strong. Imagine in your mind a Taysom Hill at running back, and that's what you have in Bo Hodge. And I was surprised at the amount of work that they're giving him. It's not that they just moved him over to running back. They're giving him the ball. They're throwing him the ball. They're using him in blocking schemes. He's become a key running back, maybe one of the top three. That's my observation. Jeff, what do you got? Well, a couple things. Not so much from from Pratis, but looking at uh, what went wrong last year. And you can point to a lot of things that went wrong. Um, A couple things I'll mention that I think are really crucial going into the season. Number one, in 2016, BYU was number two in turnover margin. They were very adept at forcing turnovers and holding on to the ball, and they won games because of that. They won through a lot of close games, and they won their share of those, In I'd say, in large part because of that. Last year, they were number 117 in turnover margin. And when you don't have the ball, when you're giving up the ball and not creating turnovers, creating takeaways, you're going to lose games. And... So that's, again, of one of many things that you've got to point to. Another thing I'll, I would say is that, uh, you know, with Kalani Sataki, with his coaching style, his background, his pedigree, I think we know that the key for him, what he wants to do is build a very strong offensive line, a very strong defensive line. It all starts there. It all begins there. I think by hiring Jeff Grimes as offensive coordinator and also kind of a de facto offensive line coach, I think that shows their, the urgency and the need of building up that offensive line, and there's depth there like we haven't seen before. Uh, they have to re- replace some guys on that old line they lost, but uh, there's a lot of talent there. And then on the defensive side, which we've already addressed, it's really important that BYU gets pressure on the quarterback. So to me, this team has got to figure out how to create uh, pressure defensively, how to protect the quarterback, open up those those running lanes. And if they can do that, and on top of that, hold on to the football, create some turnovers. I think we're going to see some uh, some changes, and I think we're going to see some positive movement there for BYU. Tad, Tad what, what Jeff just said, Louis Lapuaja was out taking reps yesterday. That's a very positive development for the offensive line. That guy was as good as anybody. He's 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 an extraordinary talent of the offensive line that's been hurt, hasn't been able to come back. And just seeing him out there practicing, I think, is a potentially very positive development for what's been a kind of a thin group talent-wise. 
And back to turnovers and uh, forcing turnovers, it's easier to force the turnovers when your offense is pretty explosive because you can take more chances then. You can bring heat. You can do things because you won't be afraid of giving up scores. That wasn't happening last year, but the year before, as you mentioned, pretty much the same coaching staff. Uh, they did. Uh, they led the nation in turnovers gained. Brandon, your final observations. I, I'm going to focus on what I believe is the best position group at BYU right now, and that's tight end. And and that was absent of, of what we thought we were going to have as far as newcomers contributing. Uh, Moroni Laluputu tells an extraordinary talent when he's healthy. Him getting hurt right before the start of last season really affected the offense adversely. They were going to go two tight ends. That was going to be the focal point of the offense. So that kind of threw him for a loop when he got hurt. We all know how good Matt Bushman is. But you add guys, and Kalani brought these guys up, and he really talked about them a lot. Is Hank Tuipolotu and Dallin Holker. Holker's a kid from Lehigh. Hank, Hank Tuipolotu's uh, back from a mission. These kids are looking really good. They're making a lot of plays, and Kalani expressed that he doesn't see how he's going to be able to keep these guys off the field. So if you look for an, uh, a position group where you can really hang your hat on, I think it's going to be tight end. I think that potentially is a group that can lead this offense and, and really be the focal point and, and guys that can d- demand double teams, which is going to help every, everything else out. So I'm high on the tight ends. I think people will be shocked about the offensive line and some of the things that they're doing, the size that they have, and what Jeff Grimes and Ryan Pugh has been able to do. Well, that's a final word. I, I will say one thing, one more thing, and, and it's an observation, and that is that I've noticed that this team is looking after each other. You've got young players that are really being taken under the wing, starting at the quarterbacks. you got under the tight ends that you mentioned, the cornerbacks. They're all helping each other in a way that I think is really important to build team chemistry, at least right now with no adversity, no losses or anything like that. They're stepping up for one another. Thanks for uh, joining the first edition of this podcast, Cougar Insiders. Uh, We hope that you'll join us next week. Uh, We'll be doing this regularly throughout the football season, get some into the basketball season. Find this podcast, download it, subscribe to it, and if you feel like it, leave us some comments. Thanks for joining in. 